0: You know, one of the hardest things about pastoring is walking through difficult times with people and seeing the hurt on their faces and difficulties they've had. But one of the greatest joys of pastoring is to see God work in those situations in people's lives. And this morning... As we're singing all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been good. I just step back and I just look across the congregation and I see people that have been through some awful, awful stuff and they're raising their hands singing that song and it's a testament to the faithfulness of our God. Man, these dumb PJ jeans just can't really get out of here. Ah. Oh. all right I'll try to pull it together but man it's such a it's such an awesome thing to see it's such an awesome thing to see you blessed me this morning brother josh you blessed me this morning all right preaching okay we're going to be in Hebrews 11, uh, chapter, chapter 11, verses 32 to 40 this morning. And uh, as I was preparing this week, uh, how many of us have ever been in a car ride? And when you're, when you're traveling with uh, little kids for a long period of time, what do we hear multiple times throughout that car ride from our little kids? Are we there yet? Well, let me tell you this morning, we are finally there at the end of chapter 11. I'm sure that's, that's probably what people are thinking this morning. Are we there yet? through there but I'm finally going to finish it off this morning. But in the midst of this long drive, we can either focus on the longevity of the trip which makes it seem like forever or we can focus on the things that we notice and experience through our long trips. All right? And it's important for us this morning to understand and remember all that we have learned and talked about over the last yes, 8 weeks. Because the examples that came before us, they lay the standard upon which we are to live and walk in faith. This morning we finish up Hebrews 11, but we truly see Hebrews 11 brought to fruition when it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. These men and women had faith in a promise that was given to them by God, And all of that, they kept. They kept the faith of what was to come. They never, in a lot of these cases, never got to see that promise come to completion. And none of them saw the ultimate promise of a Messiah come to completion. But they kept the faith. And today, we are called to exercise faith. In the one that not was to come as it was for these men and women, but we're to keep the faith in the one that has come. We have received the promised Messiah. How does that change our outlook on faith compared to those who have never received it that we've been reading about over the last eight weeks? And that brings me to my title, Faith, This Side of the Cross. In Hebrews 11, 32 to 40. So let's dive in this morning, starting in verse 32. And what more shall we say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promise, stopped the mouths of lions, They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, all these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your faithfulness this morning. And Lord, I thank you for the the faithfulness, Lord, that is evident among the people here at Providence. God, I thank you for the amazing things that you're doing in the lives of these people. And Lord, that's not a testament to us as a leadership team or to this church and ministries and things we do. Lord, that's solely a testament to your faithfulness. And Father God, how you are a good God that we can trust and we can put our faith in. And this morning, I pray, God, as we look at these individuals, Father God, that kept the faith despite never receiving the promise, I pray, Lord, that we could follow that example and, Lord, that we could live our faith out knowing what happened at the cross, knowing that you sent your son down to die for us. Father, this morning, I ask, Lord, that you would just empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit, Father God, to deliver this message, not from me, but from you. And let us all have open ears and open hearts to receive what you have this morning. Lord, we ask all these things in your Son's holy name. Amen. So the first thing, we have three points I want to bring out this morning, and that is faith over circumstances, faith through circumstances, and ultimately faith in Christ. If we look at the passage, I think it breaks itself down to... uh, Lend to those type of those three outlines here, but we see in verse thirty-two the author starts off being everyone's favorite pastor. See if you read that, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me. All right, so he understands that time's important to the listeners and if he keeps going about other men and women of the faith which he could do they may miss Sunday school they may be late for their lunch plans so he wraps it all up and says listen for the sake of time i'm going to bring it together and everybody's wondering can josh do that this morning i will try my best but all jokes aside the author truly is torn to not mention many others in the faith that have kept it their entire lives He's listed out several men and women as we've gone through here in chapter 11, but there's so many more to mention. But he goes on and mentions briefly some individuals, individuals that maybe we are very familiar with, individuals like Gideon, who boldly destroyed idols and was mightily used by God to defeat a much larger, larger army of the Midianites. Midianites, not Minnonites. Yes. Gideon's our friend, I would imagine, All right? Barak, or Barak, I don't know, who led the people of Israel in a dramatic victory over the Canaanites. Samson, who was used mightily of the Lord to defeat the Philistines. Japheth, who was used for God to defeat the Ammonites. And David, who was a man after God's own heart. But as we read and mention each one of those individuals, if I gave you a second to kind of think about Gideon, think about Samson, think about David, think about any of those individuals I mentioned. If I gave you time to study them or even give you time to try to recollect what you know about those individuals, we can quickly come to the conclusion that these individuals were great men of faith, but they also had some very bad moments, right? They had some really bad moments. We know about Samson and Delilah, We know about David and Bathsheba. We know how Gideon was disobedient. We know these stories of these men and how their sins and their failures could have defined them. But here we see in Hebrews 11 that their sins and their failures did not define them, but what did? Their what? Faith. Their faith. And this is a great reminder to us that we do not have to be Perfect, spotless beings in order to have faith or be identified with our faith. Faith is understanding that we have blemishes. It's understanding that we have imperfections. It's understanding that we have sin. And understanding those things, we realize that in ourselves we're not capable of doing the things that God has asked us to do. Therefore, we must put our faith in someone who can the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. David Guzik makes a point in his Enduring the Word commentary by saying this. In listing out these individuals, this shows that weak faith is better than unbelief. Weak faith is better than unbelief. And you don't have to be perfect to make it in to God's hall of faith. Let's not look at these men and women and think that they are just these perfect beings that never sinned and never had any sort of problem in their life. We can go back to Abraham and remember how he tried to take things into his own hands and try to make him have a son, and that didn't work out for him too well. So even Abraham had faults. Moses didn't even, couldn't even enter the promised land because he disobeyed. So these men and women that we talk about, we have to understand that they are not defined by their sins, but they're defined by their faith. We mentioned this morning how we we saw a great example of life lived in faith in Dwight Moss. His family's here this morning. Was Dwight a perfect individual? No. He had faults too. But what do we define and what do we see stood out the most amongst him was his faith. Brothers and sisters, I think it's important for us that we understand that we do not have to be perfect individuals in order to have faith in God. But we are imperfect individuals who need to put our faith in God because of our imperfections. Our trust and our faith do not happen most of the time because we think we're capable of doing the things that God has called us to do on our own strength and on our own abilities. But it comes to us understanding our sin, understanding our total depravity, to understand that we need to put our faith in someone who is perfect. That's how faith begins, right? If we go back to the very beginning of the times when you became a Christian, it got to the point where you had to recognize your sin, right? You had to recognize your need for God before you could ever put your faith in him. But the problem I think we think sometimes is that we are better than what we actually are. And that's why we struggle to put our faith and trust in God. But see, because of their faith, even though it may have been small, okay? So even in small moments of faith, they were able to come a lot of their circumstances. Okay, they were able to overcome a lot of their circumstances. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says that they were able to do because of their faith, all right? They were able to Conquer kingdoms, enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. They were able to do that because they were great men. No. They were able to do that because... They were able to do these things not by their own power, but it says right here because of their faith. God can do amazing things through us and in us when we just place our faith in Him. Do we believe this morning that God can do miraculous things through us? Do you believe that this morning? Absolutely, He can. He can, and He will. Matthew 17:19 to 20 says this it says then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said why could we not cast out the demon why could we not cast out the demon he said to them because of your little faith for truly I say to you if you have faith uh, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you mustard seed I don't have to explain I think we were all in Sunday school at some point when that teacher brought in the uh, lesson that I think is just standard industrial you have to bring in a mustard seed to show the kids how small a mustard seed is but it is tiny and God says right here that with just a small amount of belief a small amount of faith you can move mountains so where is our faith how little is it Here's my question, do you have it? Because even if you come here this morning and you have at least a little bit of faith, God can do a lot with that. God can do a lot with that. Because when we truly have faith in God, nothing is impossible for him to accomplish. Nothing is impossible for him to accomplish. If God is calling you to do something that's out of your control or out of your comfort zone, all you have to do is believe and step out in faith and he can accomplish you and equip you with whatever you need to accomplish it. We think sometimes that we back away from things that maybe God may be calling us to do because we feel like that is completely impossible. Let's see, let's just use small examples for example. What if we, we're, we're looking for Sunday school teachers, and you feel like, oh, man, God feel like I'm supposed to be teaching, but ah, that's just not me. Well, if you feel like God is calling you to do that, maybe step out in faith, in some sort of service area. Maybe God's calling you to witness to someone at work, witness to someone in your family, and you think, ah, just, I'm, not a, I'm not good with that kind of stuff. I don't know the Bible as well as I should. Step out in faith and trust that God will equip you to do it. Imagine us telling the creator of the universe who created you and everything that we see around us, when he tells us to do something, think, "Uh, God, I don't really know if you quite know what you're doing there. How silly does that sound? But that's what we do when we don't step out in faith when God calls us to do something. We're taking into question his power and his ability to accomplish it. We can overcome our circumstances through faith. Now, we need to be careful in saying that because we do have this whole view of evangelism that has been coming out that we can do all these type of things and if you just have faith that God will bless you with whatever you ask for, Right? We've seen those people before. If, if, if you're sick, you just don't have enough faith. If your bank account's draining, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you're not able to heal these people, it's because you don't have enough faith. Let's be careful for a second because we also see that just because we have faith doesn't always mean that we're going to be able to overcome every bad thing that comes into our life. Because yes, we can have faith over our circumstances, but then another blessing that we just don't really notice too much is that God also gives us faith through our circumstances, right? And understanding that when we are faithful, nothing is impossible for God to do in us, but it's also too important that faith doesn't always mean good things are going to happen in our life. I hope that's not news to you this morning, but if it is, I'm glad you're hearing it today, that just because you have faith in God does not mean that your life is going to be rainbows and unicorns. The Christian life is difficult. There's persecution. There's suffering. There's difficult times. We are called to not be in the world, but be set apart from the world. So if we're called to be set apart from the world, obviously the world is going to have issues with us, right? Because we're different. And that's what happens. Can God accomplish great and miraculous things through our faith? Absolutely he can. But that's not always how it works. Remember what was defined in verse 2 of Hebrews 11 as faith. It's, faith is the conviction of things not seen. When we go through difficult times, we may not be able to see the other side of the suffering or the tribulations that we may be going through. And just because we can't see the purpose in our sufferings doesn't mean that we can't have faith in God through our sufferings. Many people think that, man, if I could just see the purpose in why I'm struggling in my marriage, or if I could just see the reason why that uh, I, I lost a child or I lost a loved one, or if I could just see the reason why I'm struggling in my job, or why I got laid off, or why, 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 if we think that if we can see the end result, that it would make it easier for us to go through those trials and circumstances. But in essence, is that truly faith? What are we putting our faith in at that point? The end result, not in the one that knows the end result. Faith is not knowing, but trusting that he is good. True, genuine faith is based on the promise that is to come, not in what currently is in front of us. Because if that were the case, then we would lose faith based on circumstances all the time, right? Every time something bad would happen in our life, we're like, oh God, you're not here. Where are you at? Something's going on. I don't see you. Where are you at? And we would lose faith with every little trial that came our way. But as we read in verses 35 and 38, we read that these men and women of faith, what does it say was happened to them? These men and women of faith, that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that they were tortured, mocked, flogged, which means beaten, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, afflicted, mistreated, and cast out by the world. And let's be honest, this is not something that we would expect to find here in this passage that's been talking about these great men and women of faith who, because of their faith, they were able to part Red Seas. Because of these, these men of faith, they were able to have children at such a late age. Because of these men of faith, they were able to do all these miraculous things. And now, here at the end of chapter 11, we're talking about men and women of faith that were killed and tortured and beaten. Okay, take me back to the verses before. That was a lot easier for me to swallow. But what about faith through circumstances, faith through trials? Charles Spurgeon said this, if we cannot have faith in God when circumstances seem to be against us, we do not have faith in him at all. Let me repeat that. If we cannot have faith in God when circumstances seem to be against us, we do not have faith in him at all. You don't get to pick and choose when you have faith in God. We trust God when things are good. Yeah, that's easy. What about when things are bad? Do you understand that suffering is a part of being a disciple of Christ? That suffering is a part of being a part of the body of Christ? As we read in the New Testament disciples and we read throughout church history and we read about current missionaries overseas and we see a common trend in the church in the people that put their faith in God in the church and that's persecution and suffering that happened in their lives. Josh, that doesn't sound like the faith that I signed up for. I thought that if I accepted Jesus into my life that everything would be great and everything would be good. Do we understand what it means to be called a disciple of Christ? It's not what many evangelists and churches have made it out to be today. But the call is clearly found in scripture, which is where we should always look for our answers. Matthew 16, 24 to 26 says this, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Do we understand, this is a quote by Michael Kruger in his book Hebrews for You, that God's people may suffer in the present, but they will receive glory in the future. That is faith defined in that quote. God's people may suffer in the present in what we can see, but they will receive glory in the future of what we cannot see. let's be honest, I'm not not here to tell you this morning that Christianity and being a disciple of Christ is this just terrible thing. No, I'm telling you this morning that there's no greater joy and peace that you can experience than being a part of Christ. Because listen, when you think about it, there's nothing that this world can do that can hurt us. Because our Eternity in our treasure is not stored here, but it is stored in heaven that is awaiting us for that time when he comes and takes us home. But when the moment that we start trying to live our best life now and try to make our time here great and fun and exciting, then we abandon the future glory for a temporary present. Sounds like a terrible investment, that we would, we would exchange our eternal glory for a temporary excitement in the present. Albert Moeller says in his Christ-centered commentary or exposition on Hebrews, he makes a good point by saying the author here is not calling us to die or suffer like these individuals did. He's not calling us to do that. But what he's calling us to do is he's calling us to trust in the covenant Lord just like they did even if that means we suffer deaths like they did. See, when we talk about living in faith, let me, just, let me be honest, because I've been here. When we talk about living in faith, I think that we instantly start to think radically when it comes to living in our faith. We think that we, in order to live in faith, we are to sell off all of our possessions, quit our jobs, move to a third world country, and be all about God. For some people, they're called to that. But others are not. If God's calling you to sell off your possession and quit your job and move to a third world country, we're backing you 100%. But let me ask you this that is not what trusting God is only about. I think sometimes when we think about, we say, hey, step out in faith. People start to get a little bit scary and start to think, oh, that means I've got to like change my whole entire life and I've got to sell everything and do everything. Well, let me ask you a question, okay? Or let me tell you something and then ask you some questions. True faith isn't just in those big moments and those big actions that we are called to do. True faith is trusting God Through our circumstances, big or small. Let me ask you some questions that you can think about here this morning. Do you trust God with the difficulties you're expressing or seeing at work? Do you trust God with your job? Do you trust God when your children become sick? That one's for me. Do you trust God when your marriage is struggling? Do you trust God when your money is tight? Do you trust God in your cancer diagnosis? And ultimately, do you trust God with your salvation? Notice how each one of those things started to build upon each other: work, our kids, our marriages, our finances, our life, our health, and ultimately our eternity. Let's be honest: if we can't even trust God with our jobs and our money, how are we ever supposed to trust Him with our salvation? If we can't trust God With our kids, how are we supposed to trust God in our marriages? If we can't trust God in the smallest moments of our lives, then we will never be able to trust him in our biggest moments of life. And I believe that what God does, he he, he allows us to grow our faith in the small acts of faith in our lives that he's called us to do. And in those small acts of faith, when we put our trust in God and even the smallest little bits of things, it strengthens our faith so that whenever we get to this point in our life where it may come down to, do you trust God for your life? Are you willing to die for him? Now it makes it a little bit easier for us because we've grown and been strengthened in our faith by trusting God with even the little things. Because I could ask you right now, do you think, do you think that you would die for your faith? Be honest with yourself. Do you think you could die for your faith? Many of us may be not able to answer that. and Many of us may say no. But I think as we start to trust God more and more with even the smaller things in our lives, the everyday things in our life, I think that answer becomes more and more clear. Because when we start to trust God at work, we start to trust God with our money, we start to trust God with our kids, we start to trust God in our marriages, we start to trust God with uh, all these, uh, all in, our, in, our, in these diagnoses that we get medically with our health, as we begin to trust God and start to see God work, then we truly can sit here and sing that song this morning and truly understand that, yes, all my life, you have been faithful. and all my life, you have been good so that whenever it comes down to it and I have to die for your sake, I trust you because you always have been faithful. Look at the examples that we see in the Bible with Peter. Peter, who Christ said he would deny him three times, what did Peter say? Never. I would never do that then what happened? He denied him three times. So Peter's faith really wasn't where it needed to be, right? Yeah, he had faith, but it wasn't the faith that we see at the end of Peter's life when he's willing to be crucified on a cross upside down. We see Peter, who denied Christ three times early on in his life, grow in his faith throughout the book of Acts as he saw God constantly come through and he continued to grow in his faith because he saw how good and trustworthy God was that when it came time to die for Christ, he trusted him 100%. Because Peter could sit there and say, all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been good. Therefore, I trust you in this moment. But ultimately, guys, what it comes down to, whether you look at the people in the past on the other side of the cross or you look at people on this side of the cross, ultimately what it comes down to is, yes, you can have faith over circumstances. You can have faith through your circumstances. But what's most important is what you put your faith in. So it's not about the overcoming. It's not about getting through things. But it's ultimately about who you're placing your faith in, and that is in Christ. Our faith, big or small, can allow us to overcome difficult circumstances because our God is sovereign over all things. And even when we can't overcome things on our own, our faith will pull us through and under, help us understand that God is good through them. And whether we overcome our circumstances or merely get through them, one thing is certain that we see in the examples that we've read in Hebrews 11 and we see in our lives that whether or not we overcome them or we get through them, the most important thing is who our faith is in. Each member of the hall of faith was given a promise, a promise in which they clung to deeply in their lives. If we look at verse 39, it says, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And what was that ultimate promise that was given to them? Something better. Something better. Ultimately, it was Christ. The best better that you could ever have. Does that make sense? The best better. You guys know my English background. All right. The best, better that we could ever receive was Christ the Messiah that came and died on the cross for our sins. And this brings us back to, once again, verse 2 in chapter 11 that faith is not based on seeing. These individuals, in their tremendous faith that they had in God, never saw the promised Messiah, never saw him. They were dead and gone before Christ even came on the scene, and yet they still put their faith in God because he promised them something better. But now fast forward to the present day. We have seen the Messiah, right? The Holy Spirit has opened our hearts to see, to feel, to experience the love of Christ in our lives, We have the written word that tells us about the goodness of Christ and the life that he lived. The perfect spotless lamb who never sinned went to the cross in our place in order to die for us. We're on this side of the cross. So therefore we have seen and heard and experienced the promise of something better. We have a much clearer and understanding of the gospel than all of these men and women in Hebrews 11 did. Therefore, let me ask the question, shouldn't it be easier for us to have faith? Because we have seen and experienced and know of what is to come. If you read here, it says God having provided something better for us means we are provided something better, seeing and enjoying the completed work of Jesus on our behalf, and therefore, we have much more reason to hold on to the faith and let, not let us get discouraged during difficult times or defeat us because we know, we know that Christ came and took care of our eternity on that cross. And then we fast forward a little bit, farther and we read in Revelation how one day he will come back, He will return to take us to something even better. The men and women that we have spent the last eight weeks studying on in Hebrews 11, they they have set their foundation for us. They've set the foundation of faith for us. That means we don't always have to see what God is going to do in our lives in order to place our faith and trust in him. We just have to remember that God has something better. He has something better. And we carry that example with us each and every day of our lives. And as I mentioned before, not just the men and women that we read in Hebrews 11, but people like Dwight Moss, who lived his life faithfully, understanding that there was something better. And I could sit here, as I'm looking through the room right now, I could sit here and point out several examples of men and women of faith that I get to spend every day with, and each Sunday with, there are men and women of faith that are sitting in this room right now that have revolved their life and put their faith and trust in God because they know that something better is coming. If we look back at when we started in this book of Hebrews over 17 years ago, we talked about in each one of those first several chapters how Christ was better Than the angels. He was better than Abraham. He was better than Moses. He was better than whatever we want to put in that blank. And what now, we bring it to completion in understanding that Christ is better than anything in this world that this world has to offer. So by us placing our faith in him, we're placing our faith in something better. Say this with me. Jesus is better. He is And that's the whole point of this entire book of Hebrews is to understand that Jesus is better than fill in the blank. So what have you learned over these past several weeks as we have walked through this Hall of Fame of Faith? Hopefully you you have learned a great deal about what this faith is. Hopefully you've understood where it comes from, how it is given to us as a gift that we are to exercise. Hopefully you have found that in Our faith needs to be found in Christ and in Christ alone. And as we, as the people of God, just as Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, and Samuel did, we are called to trust God and walk in faith. So my question to you this morning is, where is God calling you this morning to step out in faith? And my question is, if he's been calling you to that, why aren't you doing it? Is fear fear holding you back? Is doubt holding you back? Is pride in your own ability holding you back what is keeping you from experiencing all that God can do in your life by solely trusting in him I'll close with this quote by uh, Oswald Chambers who was mentioned on our podcast the other day with Chris Howe he didn't even know that I put this in here and you know he mentioned Oswald Chambers and this quote was in here but Oswald Chambers says faith never knows where it is being led but it loves and knows the one who is leading. It's a beautiful way to close out Hebrews 11. Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one that is doing the leading. That's the key. Who, not what, your faith is in. Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now, Lord, we thank you, Father, for the examples that you've given us in Hebrews 11. God, I thank you, Father, Lord, that you have allowed us to see, Father God, what it is, this faith that we're supposed to uh, exercise, this great gift of faith that you've given us, Lord. I thank you, Father, Lord, that you have fully explained this to us in your word. And Father God, as we understand it, Lord, that's just the beginning of faith. Lord, to understand it is is the beginning, but Father God, to truly exercise it and walk in it is the next step. And Father, I pray, Father Lord, just as these men and women that we've read about and Lord, the men and women that we see amongst us each and every day have stepped out in faith, Lord, I pray God that you would allow us to gain the courage, Father God, to step out in faith. Lord, not just in the big moments, Lord, that we would, we would if, if we're feeling called to overseas mission, Father God, I thank you for that. That's great. But Father God, not all of us are, but you're just asking us, Father God, to trust you in the small things, with work, with, with our kids, with our marriages, Father God, with our money, whatever it may be, Lord, you're calling us to trust you, not just with certain things, but all things. And, Father God, it is entrusting you with all those things, Father God, that we come to an understanding of how good you truly are. And, Lord, just as these men and women probably got to the end of their lives, Father God, or got through these circumstances or trials that they went through, Father, I thank you, Father Lord, that they could probably look back and say, Lord, all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been good. Father, I thank you for that opportunity, Lord, that you give us to see and experience your goodness each and every day. Father, continue to help us walk in that faith daily and share that faith with other people. Father, we thank you for sending your son down who is worthy of our faith and our trust. We ask all these things in your son's holy name, amen.